Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, I'm here today with Dr. Daryl Stickle, world-renowned expert on trust building. If you tuned in to our last episode, and if you didn't, I advise that you do, you'll get some of the groundwork that he laid for us. And in this episode, we're going to go ahead and share more about the levers that he mentioned. We're going to share of some of the techniques of how we can each one work on ourselves with our trust. But before we do, Daryl, I have a question for you. I noticed throughout the earlier episode, the board behind you is T-R-U-S-T repeated, gosh, I don't know, 12, 16, 20 times. And the U, I notice, is a different color. So I am going to guess that that's got something to do with you are in the middle of your own trust. But I want to hear your take on what that's about, please. Well, the company's called Trust Unlimited. And so the U is supposed to represent both the middle of the word trust, but also for unlimited. Makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. Uh, Folks, you need to see it. So if you're listening to this without your computer, take a look, see, okay, or on your phone there, and you'll understand what I've got to say. So, Dr. Stickle, just give us a quick overview where we can go with this, with the levers and everything. And, Daryl, go ahead and start off with those 10 levers that you mentioned in our earlier episode. Right, so... Trust is the willingness to be vulnerable when you can't completely break it how someone else is going to behave. There's an element of uncertainty and vulnerability included in that model. And so there are four levers that reside within uncertainty because uncertainty comes from two places. It comes from us as individuals and it comes from the context we're embedded in. And I describe context as the rules of the game. And so it's the formal and informal mechanisms of social control that constrain my behavior. The more I'm able to communicate to you how I'm constrained, the easier it is for you to predict me. And so I can tell you about my background, about regulations that constrain me, rules and regulations, but we can also take action within the context. We can sign a contract, we can put up peace bonds, I can make public commitments. In fact, the, the public commitment I'm going to make to you is that I'm going to get through all 10 levers of the model. And if I don't, people can send me hate emails <laughs> saying that I let you down. And we'll help you get in contact, all right? Yes. So everyone has the ability to build trust. Some are just better than others. Those who are not very good have a lever that they pull. Usually it's the ability lever. So I could come on and say, you know, I'm Dr. Stickle. I have a PhD from Duke and um, I've spoken at Harvard and a bunch of other universities and I've been nominated as one of the world's leading thinkers on trust. That's the ability lever. But people know that you curate this show. They know that you invited me. So they assume that I'm actually 
some kind of expert that I kind of know what I'm talking about. So if I pull that lever over and over again, it doesn't always work. Those who are a bit better at building trust have multiple levers that they pull. Those who are really good have multiple levers and they know when to pull which one. So let's say that there's a problem within the context. You know, people go, well, Daryl really knows about trust, but should I let him drive my car? He's legally blind. No. So I would have to pull different levers if that was the case. Now, three of the levers are related to us as individuals. Those are benevolence, integrity, and ability. And in the last episode, I mentioned briefly about benevolence and how we can pull that lever. So in this episode, I'll talk a little bit about integrity. You know, we have a tendency to overpromise and then underdeliver. And we also have a promise, a tendency to promise about outcomes. That'll never happen again. I'll never do that again. Those kinds of things. Much more productive for us to make promises about effort, about the things that are within our control. And it's also important that we get a shared sense of what the promise was. And so I made a promise that I would cover all 10 levers. But if you understood it differently than me, I may finish and go, there you go, there's 10 levers. And you're, you're sitting there going, well, I kind of expected something different than that. I feel like I followed through, but you don't. Similarly, when we start talking about trust as, or integrity as a combination of our actions against the values that we take or that we have, if I don't tell a story that links my actions or my decisions back to those values, I run the risk of you having a different story and you interpreting what I've done differently. And a lot of times organizations will see people have some cynicism because they'll see this list of values on the wall and they'll go, oh yeah, that never happens here. You know, there was a company I worked with, their motto was the future is friendly. And I said, what does that mean? Like I'm sitting with a bunch of senior executives and they, they said, well, we didn't know there was going to be a quiz. I said, what kind of promises do you think you're making with that? Because I got to tell you, when I hear that, I think the future's friendly, but right now you're in trouble. Um, and so we start looking at how do we reach a shared understanding of what the commitment was? And how do we then also become transparent about saying, I think I followed through on it. And this is what I'm going to do next. And so to pull that integrity lever, we actually have to have conversations that include us trying to create a shared narrative, telling people how we think our actions are aligned with the values we've expressed, or telling people when we think we've finished a commitment that we made, and then telling them what we're going to do next, predicting our own behavior. We also need to see that the rules apply to everyone the same, because that's another place we tend to fall down. I have one set of rules for you and another set of rules for me. Now, ability is the third lever that we can pull as an individual. And despite it being our favorite, we often really misalign or mis misrepresent what excellence looks like. So 
for me to have an understanding of what excellence looks like as a guest for you, I would actually need to include you in that conversation to say, hey, Randy, what's a good guest look like? Who's your best guest ever been? What did they do? What, what made them so great? And we could even go a step further and say to your listeners, hey, what's a great guest look like on Randy's show? What's compelling? What does good look like? And now we're starting to include all the stakeholders and get a really clear sense of what excellence is. And so we can start to build a list from that and start to communicate that and say, I've heard from all the different stakeholders. I can't be everything to all people, but these are the things that really resonate and here's where the overlaps are. And this is what good looks like for me. So we've covered four of the levers that all reside within uncertainty. And I told you guys last time that my favorite was benevolence. Well, partly it's because benevolence is so resilient, even in the face of change. The faster things change, the more ability becomes a moving target. And the harder it becomes to follow through on my commitments if they're long-term in nature. Because things might change. And values might change. And I'm going to be engaged in turmoil and transition as I try to figure this out. But benevolence, that belief that I'm trying to look out for you, that holds no matter what. And some of the teams that I've been working with, you know, I, I've started to get them to try to pull together by trying to help each other be exceptional because that helps us future-proof each other. So those are four of the levers. There's two levers within vulnerability. and Really, when we're trying to understand someone's vulnerability, we need to understand what they think is at stake and how they value it. And so we may have irrational notions of what's at stake. I might say to you, you know, Randy, if I say the wrong thing here, everyone on the planet's going to hate me. And you could say to me, no, Daryl, only 30% of the planet. Um, so we can start to share an understanding of how we feel vulnerable, what the alternatives are. And a way that we start to reduce people's vulnerability is by giving them options. Scarcity is one of the things that makes us feel vulnerable. And you've seen organizations give us a chance to try things, to reduce our vulnerability so that we feel more comfortable making a buying decision. Think about an ice cream store where they let you take a little piece or a little scoop of each of the flavors that you want to try. You know, maybe you try rum raisin and you realize, wow, I don't like rum or raisin. And so thank God I didn't buy a whole bowl. And so we see organizations, you know, with, with generous return policies, with money back guarantees. All of these things are steps for them to help you reduce your vulnerability. So there's six levers now, four within uncertainty, two within vulnerability. After we've made the trust decision, we have a perceived outcome. And I use the word perceived because we interpret the world through stories. You and I could have exactly the same experience, but dramatically different perceptions of what just happened. And there are two levers within perceived outcomes. One of those is, was it a, a success or a failure? And then the other is who gets the credit, who gets the blame. 
And again, we can pull levers there to try to create a shared understanding of what good looks like before we get there. Because imagine you and I are playing a game and we've been told different rules and we get to the end and I think, hey, I won. And you go, no, you didn't. And so we have to look and see how we create a shared narrative and how we create a shared understanding of what good is so we can all strive for the same outcome. In the middle of all this are our emotional states, whether we like or dislike someone else. And again, it's a, it's a powerful story. The more we like someone, the more we're likely to find reasons to trust them. The more positively we see the outcome, it may actually change what we use to define what success looks like, right? So you and I, we're friends. We go to see a movie together. Movie's terrible. But because it's you and I hanging out together, I had a good time. But if you and I were neutral or maybe didn't like each other, it's a terrible movie and a terrible experience. And so our emotional states have an impact on not only the narrative that we tell, but our evaluation of the basis for trust and our evaluation of the outcomes. And the more extreme those emotions become, the less rational we are. And this is why we see these long-term disputes that don't seem to want to go away. And so there's two levers within our emotions. It's, it's, you know, like or dislike and how much, right? And so, so we've got these 10 levers and there's places where I'm different from the traditional research on trust. I was one of the first people to talk about emotions. Most of the trust research treats people like they're rational actors. I don't, I don't know if you've met people before, Randy, but we're not always rational. And so what I do is I try to systematically walk people through these levers and teach them how to pull them. Is it, how do I word this? Is it a, a static procedure, step one through 10? Is there some bounce back, like with grief? We've got those stages of grief, but we oftentimes, before we get to step four, we've returned to step two. Uh, right. Yes. Help us with that. Yeah, so there is no silver bullet. The, um Partly it's a matter of understanding when I need to pull which lever. Got and that. so first we seek to understand, right? We, we seek to understand the other person and the story that they have. And then we start to ask questions. And in the, in the book, I've laid out the whole model, all 10 levers, and I've laid out ways to pull those levers. Um, but it starts with me trying to understand you try to develop some empathy to see where the gap is. So if, so if the gap was around perceived outcomes, that's where I need to lean in. So if there's a parent-child issue, that's where it begins with understanding, whether it's a cultural issue or racial issue, uh, whatever yeah. category it may fall into, you believe understanding is that first step, yes? I, I agree. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
And then we start to ask questions, right? And we start to try to get a sense of where the gap is and how we can close it. And there is an iterative process, much like you talked about with the grief piece. It's, I'm going to try to understand, okay, here's where the gap is. I'm going to try to resolve that. Did that work? If it did, that's great. Then are there other things that are a challenge? If it didn't, let me include you in the, in the problem solving process to try to solve this. Wow. You have, uh, <laughs> do me a favor, please. Just go through those 10 levers without explanation. Just list them. There's four levers within uncertainty. There's benevolence, integrity, ability, and context. There are two levers within vulnerability. What's at stake? How do I value it? There are two levers within perceived outcomes. Was it a success or a failure? And who gets the credit or who gets the blame? And there are two levers within emotions. Do I like or dislike? And again, it ends up being a context piece. Is there something that's driving those perceptions? And, and can I untangle that? So those are the 10 levers. And that was me following through on my promise. Yes. You told us in the beginning that's what you do, and uh, so you can't get the hate mail over that, okay? Yeah, you certainly gave us what you said you would. Uh, what? How can we recognize that it's working? So you and I have a broken trust, and I'm you're doing your best to rebuild that. What is a piece of evidence that will show you maybe this is working and that trust right. is starting to grow? That's a great question, Randy. So part of the challenge we face is that we don't always define trust problems properly. We don't recognize them. And when I ask people, who do you trust? I get these close, tight personal relationships you know, best friends, sibling, spouse, parents. And our head goes to this dichotomous place, right? It, it's either present or absent. We either trust people or we don't. And the reality is we trust some people more than others. And it's, it's all over the place, right? It, it's a social lubricant that allows us to function. When I flip that question and I say, who trusts you? I get this long pause. And then people say, how would I know? Which is exactly what you're asking me. How do I know if somebody trusts me? How do I know that this is working? Trust is the willingness to make yourself vulnerable when you can't completely predict how someone else is going to behave. So we start asking ourselves, how can people make themselves vulnerable to me? And do they? So if you're asking, is it working? Start thinking about ways that I could make myself vulnerable to you. And do you see that start to show up a little more often? Do I start to share more information with you? Am I willing to have projects that have overlap, you know, where my success depends on something, something you're, you're doing? Do I let you know what my goals and aspirations are with the belief that you're actually going to support me instead of the belief that you're going to try to undercut me? Next, what 
what role does faith, Christian faith, play in all of this? Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of things from you that's incredible advice, but nothing I you hear from the pulpit in this way, okay? So where does our faith play into this? Uh, does our trust of God equal our trust of our fellow human being? Or Yeah, help me out. Mm. So sometimes I struggle with organized religion because it seems to be competitive. And... For some, it feels like the message is you can trust people that follow God the same way you do. Yes. That's not my belief in God. My belief in God is that he loves all of us. And that if he thought I was harming someone in his name, he would be offended. And so I think that if we actually had real faith in God, we would believe that he has a purpose. We would believe that there's a positive story. We believe that others are as loved by him as we are. And that perhaps we should be striving for their success as much as our own. So it goes back to that personalness with him. It's not about what you think of me or I think of you. It's my relationship with him and my willingness to love others as he has loved others. Yeah. 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 We may not walk under the same door, but uh, we should be walking with the same person. I... <laughs> I want to throw this in. I'm not even sure how it how it fits, but in in my line of of commitment dealing with those who battle substance use disorder, be it alcohol or drugs, self sabotage is a big hurdle that so many have trouble jumping. What can we do to trust ourselves? more and go ahead and throw in some of those healthy limits we should have as well so one of the things i've got two sons and i believe that i should have a relentlessly positive story about them and a lot of times when i work with families they'll come to me and they'll say i want you to fix my kid and my response will always be your kid's not here i'm i'm here to help you and if you change your behavior, that might change the reactions that you get. When I create that positive narrative, and when I reinterpret the world through that positive narrative for my sons, it allows them to take risks in the world because they've got a safe harbor. My perception, and you're more of an expert than I am, Randy, is that a lot of times people who are relying on substances to cope don't have a very positive story about themselves and they don't have a safe harbor. That's, that's target on with both of those. The trauma of their past has driven so many to the usage of some type of drug, numbing agent, whatever you might like to label it. 
and right. everything that's gone with that. This may almost sound humorous, and I don't truly mean it this way, but back in 1992, a guy by the name of Rodney King asked a question, and you probably know what that is, but can't we all just get along? Uh, right. Yeah, what? Give us two big steps we can each one apply immediately to our lives to help us deal with ourselves and with others. So I approach the world with a positive story. Um, you know, and I'll have people say to me, you know, you're legally blind, you've, you've got post-concussion syndrome, you've got all these challenges. How are you not depressed? And I think it's about the story that I tell. And I'm able to have a positive impact in the world I'm able to have a positive impact on the people that I engage with. I love the work I do. And so for me, part of this is how do we show up? And I try to show up as positive, try to have a positive impact. And I, I'm okay being a bit vulnerable, right? And, and so a lot of times what I say to folks is they'll say to me, how do I build trust quickly? little bit of vulnerability and a heavy dose of benevolence. And so I share a little bit about myself. I share some of the challenges I have. Maybe I ask for help or I be, it becomes obvious I need help and somebody reaches out. And I accept that with grace and appreciation. It's not a condemnation of me that I need help and support at times. It's actually an affirmation of the human condition. Absolutely. Uh, Daryl, you you made yourself vulnerable by ex accepting the invitation to be on here. Yes, I'm sure you did litter with fear and trepidation that you, there was going to be an attack on your thoughts and whatnot. But every time we open ourselves to an experience, there's some vulnerability. And certainly when we open ourselves to relationship, there's a chance it won't work for whatever yeah. reason. Maybe that connection wasn't meant to be for whatever reason. And uh, But we continue to strive to be the best us we can be. I've always said I want to be the, the total me that God created me to be. I don't want to be right. better than you. I'm not about to see myself as less than you. But how do I measure up to that stick that God has for me to stand against? And I don't say that with fear or discomfort or it can't be done. He encourages me and gives me the ways. And we've heard that here today. I I want to go back again to that word that I've heard over and over. I mentioned it another time, transparency. I'd love what you've shared with us about that today, about yourself being as transparent as you've been with your past struggles, challenges, difficulties, however you might label them, and your willingness to share with us your, your education, your training, your skills. Go ahead and tell the folks the title of the book. Go ahead and 
can give them any information you might like to for their benefit to get a hold of your organization or to get the book. Help them with that, please. Yeah, so if people want to be helpful, buying the book, I find that people having a shared vocabulary really helps. So the book is called Building Trust, Exceptional Leadership in an Uncertain World. You can find it anywhere you buy books online. It's available as an audiobook or a, an ebook. Um, you can find my company, Trust Unlimited, at trustunlimited.com. And you can find uh, free articles in the blog section. Uh, if you go to the About section, you can see a picture of my guide dog, Drake. He's the Director of Goodness, the DOG. Um, <laughs> I like that. And if you want to reach out to me, it's Daryl at TrustUnlimited.com. And you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Daryl Stickle. We will uh, make sure we get all of this on our site when we get ready to post this and uh, get ready to air these two episodes. It'll probably be episode number one a week from this Friday, episode number two the week to follow, if not certainly the immediate week after that. That's our plans and if everything works out well. Is there anything you'd like to close with here today, something we haven't touched on or a question? you have or any comments you'd like to make, Daryl? We are facing some big, hairy problems. Things like climate change, race relations, challenges with the police, political divides, pandemics. They all require us to pull together. They require collective collaborative action for us to solve it. And it's within our control to do that. I hope people will be willing to help me pick up some great big rocks. That's what it's going to take, is doing it together, trusting each other. And if it takes two of us to carry that rock, we need to be there in benevolence and have that person's back and be that, uh, that extra set of hands. So what you've shared with us today exceeds what I'd hoped for. I thank you very much for your time for your work, uh, for the difference you've made in so many lives and the opportunity you're giving us today to rebuild relationships that have been broken either through addiction or separation. Regardless of the reason, we now have some answers. Thank you for that. Thanks, Randy. Yes. Well, Folks, it's been good to have you with us here on Faith in Your Recovery, along with Dr. Daryl Stickle out of British Columbia. I'll get it right this time. And, uh, yeah, check out the, the information he had to offer to you. We'll have it all up on our website. We'll have it along with the listing for this episode there. Stay in touch. And, hey, Take the risk to rebuild or to build that relationship. You'll be better. The world will be better. We need that. Take care. God bless. Thank you. Amen.